Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communications Committee Chair for WEDI, that's W-E-D-I, which means the Work Group for Electronic Data Interchange. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Also in our virtual studio today, we have Eugene Sion, founder and CEO of Softion. Softion is making administrative simplification a reality in the ACA marketplace, in Medicaid managed care, and in many other areas. Eugene, we're very excited to talk to you today. It's an honor to have you on our show. Thank you, Matt. Uh, it's absolute pleasure of mine to join you. And good, thank you good. for the opportunity. Very good. And, and we're coming at a very opportune time. It's the beginning of the year. Uh, lots of things have happened in this past year. Uh, we've got a changing administration. We've got uh, lots of things on its plate. But before we look to the future, I wonder if we can spend a little bit of time uh, where you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, it's always interesting to hear the background stories of healthcare leaders, how they ended up in healthcare. Um, and so often we hear that, you know, sometimes other lessons that they learned earlier in life or in other experiences, uh, they can then apply to healthcare. So maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and wh- wh- where you're coming from and how you ended up in healthcare. Absolutely. Um, as you pointed, um, I am the founder CEO of Softion. And, and by the way, uh, CEO stands for Chief Expectation Officer. So it's my <laughs> job at Softion to uh, kind of set the expectations and, and, and align the expectations and meet those expectations. Um, basically, Softion really is a, is a technology company uh, foremost, including myself, a degree in electrical engineering. Later on, pursuing my American dream, I uh, came to the U.S. and, uh, you know, Change a little bit of a pivot around computer science, if you will, um, on my way to to a PhD program. Soon, I realized that I need to get a better job uh, or better paying job, I should say, having done adjunct professors and and grading whatnot. So, um, ended up working for uh, companies like IBM's and a few others. And uh, since 2000, um, started Softion. So Softion is a, a 20-year-old company, uh, as we call it, an overnight success in 20 years in making. Uh, in that sense, it's a little bit of a contrarian. Company has grown organically without any outside capital and financing. Um, and that also speaks to our little bit of a contrarian culture that we have at Softion. Um, primarily, like as I said, a lot of computer scientists, data scientists, some people with degree in finance and others. Um, we look at healthcare is really a, a kind of a target-rich environment for uh, optimizations and modernization, and, and that is our entry point. Uh, in fact, one of our pivotal points, milestone points in Softion's history was back in 2008, uh, we, we partnered with a, a large SI system integrator, and they were invited to an RFP uh, from the state of Massachusetts to build uh, this thing called Health Insurance Exchange. Nowadays, we know it as Romnicare. 
Uh, I myself and few people at Softion at the time, we were, I believe, about 10 or 11 people, uh, took up on the critical part of the implementation, architectural design and whatnot. And uh, believe it or not, we implemented Romnicare in 90 days back in 2007, 2008 timeframe. Wow. Of course, it's not the same exchange, the one we designed it. It was a more of an MVP approach to, you know, what we know it is a and health insurance exchanges altogether too. But it did have the core elements, core assets, being that uh, a marketplace of uh, where supply meets the demand. As you know by now that um, we have literally um, 150 million individuals in United States in one form or another subscribe to government programs known as Medicare and Medicaid, and now we expand that to ACA marketplaces. Um, the number piles them up, 44 million in Medicare, 79 million in Medicaid, 12 million in marketplace. And if you combine 29 million people uninsured, their number is about 154 million individuals. It's nearly one out of two people in the US is in part of these one of these programs. So, um, Sofian's mission really is to make, as we call it, making healthcare affordable, accessible, and plentiful using data and technology and, and modern um, capabilities. Uh, I don't want to keep throwing that buzzwords AI machine learning, but we do those things in our day-to-day -day operations. So the company today is about uh, close to 200 people, to be exact, or maybe 180 or so, but then again, literally. Since the pandemic started, we have grown about 30%. We continue to hire. And the, we are a rapidly growing organization. And um, we are truly proud and privileged to be partnering with government entities, all the way from federal government to state entities, to insurance companies, and now to the associations like AARP and a few others. So that's the background on Safian and myself. Very, very good. I appreciate that that overview, Eugene. And I think uh, CMS just came out yesterday, said um, they had a very good year with the, uh, well, uh, good year uh, uh, by comparison with uh, uh, the exchange enrollment, the federal exchange enrollment, and added at least uh, another half a million people who had lost their own employer uh, provided health care. Uh, where do you see the exchanges going um, with those kind of numbers and perhaps under the new administration and uh, within the midst of this pandemic? Um, I think, as we all know, uh, at least for the last four years, ACA kind of had a major headwind uh, coming from the, the White House, the administrations, and in multitude of states. Um, you know, barring the political, I will say that the, the motivation and drivers, um, ACA clearly closed that gap or donut hole, however you want to describe it, in that in that government-sponsored healthcare um, access and 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 care, um, clearly had some great, I will say, opportunities to help millions of people get back into kind of a healthy status altogether. Too, um, we have seen this similar kind of a playbook going back to again in Massachusetts because they have been running an estate exchange since 2006. In fact, so. I think ACA has definitely has a, a great opportunity, great purpose to bringing those individuals in this transitional, let it be 
a, a, a young and invincible demographic, you know, recently graduated and looking for a jobs and now they're over 26, they have to come off their parents' plans and whatnot to, or young couples starting a business, they need something along the line that, you know, they need to be able to afford insurance for themselves, for their young families or their, or their loved ones. Or early retirees, you know, 50 plus, um, giving the, the rapid pivot and transformation towards a gig economy. Uh, individuals are deciding that, you know, maybe it's time for me to start up my own business. So clearly, I believe early estimates were about 40 plus million individuals qualified. Of that, um, 12 million already enrolled into ACA. Uh, the number, as you know, was slightly higher. I believe the number more like 14, 15 million in early years. Um, but the with the headwinds, unfortunately, um, you know, the, the shortening the open enrollment period, as you know, from four months to 45 days, uh, previous to Obama administration, the Trump administration shortened the open enrollment to 45 days. Um, and then the, of course, uh, you know, mountain of lawsuits about the different provisions of ACA, let it be individual mandate or helping the insurance companies bearing the cost of providing insurance for someone never had one. Ultimately, we did expect it excessive utilization of healthcare services, which created an additional burden for the insurance carriers. And as you know, that commonly known as a cost share reduction, which is a reinsurance program, was deemed initially um, uh, something that is not part of ACA, uh, but later on was challenged by the Supreme Court and those payers, unfortunately, many of them were forced to go out of business. So fast forward to today, I think ACA plays a pivotal role. Um, as we all know, healthcare is one of our most precious commodity that we have. Our bodies are the most important thing on day to day, what we do, what we, what we, how we function. Um, unfortunately, you know, healthcare has been a, 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 on, a, on a rampage of excessive um, growth, if you will. I believe the latest number now, we're up to $3.6 trillion. Just in, within last year, healthcare expense went up by 5%, far exceeds the inflationary or CPI indexes. So cost of healthcare continues to go up, and ACA, I think, provides a sensible opportunity for those individuals who are in that transitional cycle in their life, whatever that might be. So I think going forward, we see an ACA under the Biden administration, that tailwind, headwind now becomes a tailwind. Um, I believe the uh, Secretary-elect um, Yellen already has indicated that part of the Department of Treasury's you know, the, the plan to revitalize the economy is gonna be through healthcare. Uh, we are, again, these are just merely a predictions and most of them our own predictions. Um, we believe that the we are gonna see increase in subsidies um, as a direct correlation to declining income. Uh, most, you know, 20 some million people unemployed as a condition of that, I will say, uh, we will see a, a, a feds reacting in a fashion that they will be providing additional subsidies. Now, whether those subsidies will be directly correlated to the healthcare expenditures or will be some other form of subsidies, could be something like an HSA distributions and whatnot as well. Uh, we are also expecting and projecting that the eligibility criteria will be increased to um, beyond 400% federal poverty level, FPL levels. 
Now, we don't know what that number is going to be, 500 or 600% FPL, but clearly the, the population addressable market size for ACA population may far exceed, may far exceed that initial, we talked about 40 plus million to maybe 50, 60 million, uh, depending upon how aggressive the Biden administration will be uh, as it relates to promoting ACA at the same time, stimulating the economy at the same time, bending the cost curve um, and, and, and other reasons. Yes. Okay. Very good, uh, Eugene. And I, and I think uh, uh, they're already talking, the Biden administration is already talking about certain vehicles for uh, expanding the eligibility uh, and expanding those uh, um, uh, the, the, the economic help for people who want to go into the exchanges through, um, through some of the consolidation bills or maybe even the, uh, some of the COVID relief bills. Um, thank you. Uh, when we come back, we're going to discuss, continue our discussion with Eugene Sion. I, I'd like to talk to him a little bit about uh, consumer-driven health care and how that relates to, um, as he mentioned, 154 million people now that are in government programs. Uh, but for now, let's take a quick break and hear from our producer, Michael McNutt. Witty invites all healthcare IT professionals to register for our first major educational offering of 2021, The Quest for Health Equity, February 23rd and 24th on Zoom. Thought leaders in the fields of health IT and public health convene for a two-day forum addressing the value and importance of data interoperability and eliminating health disparities in the country. For our keynote presentations, we're excited to welcome two of the nation's most influential healthcare leaders and health equity advocates, Dr. Georges Benjamin, Executive Director of the American Public Health Association, and George Halverson, Chair and CEO of the Institute for Intergroup Understanding. This meaningful and valuable event features speakers from CMS, Siren, The Gravity Project, Harvard Medical School, AHA, and more. Review our full agenda and register at weedy.org. Enter the code PODCAST to receive 20% off your registration fee. Sign up today for the Quest for Health Equity, February 23rd and 24th. We're back and we're talking with Eugene Sion, founder and CEO of Sotheon, on another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. So, Eugene, we, we left off and you were uh, talking about the exchanges and how many, uh, you know, like you said, almost one in two individuals in the United States uh, are under government programs for their health care. Um, how, how does that relate to uh, consumer-driven health care? And, and while we're on that topic... Um, how has the pandemic affected um, consumer-driven health care? Uh, and what I'm thinking is that maybe there's a little tension between um, uh, if the government is taking out over one out of every two uh, or subsidizes or has some part in one out of every two individuals' health care benefits, does that decrease uh, the possibility for consumer choice uh, and consumer access? And then maybe how is the pandemic playing into that? I think I just asked you about a dozen questions all at once. <laughs> I'll let you go. <laughs> all right. I'll do my best. I'll go in, in some order or fashion. Okay. Uh, so really going back to early days of 2008, as I mentioned, working with Massachusetts and working with uh, 11, 12 carrier in early days of creating this kind of a more of a farmer's market analogy that I'm going to use altogether. Uh, it was truly an eye-opening experience for us. We saw the need for, obviously, a demand. We just talked about it, 150 million individuals. Right now, the ACA 
shopping experience is very limited to obviously um, you know, there's certain programs, ACA marketplace altogether too, but we are also seeing an early signs of uh, kind of a decision-making empowerment shopping experience for, as we know, Medicare, MA product, especially Advantage product and MedSofts and Part D for over 65. And we are also seeing uh, parts of a kind of consumer empowerments in even within the Medicaid programs. Uh, and one notable uh, example will be the Healthy Indiana program, in fact, uh, program was uh, designed and built by Seema Virma. Uh, that is our current, as you know, CMS administration under back then Governor Pence, uh, whereby Indiana, in fact, one of the very few states have taken the early 1332 waiver of ACA rather than building a state marketplace for that 133 to 400% FPL population, they wanted to design a shopping experience and more of a consumer empowerment experience for the entire Medicaid population. So Healthy Indiana program uh, today, in fact, uh, serves, if I'm not mistaken, a little over maybe a, uh, maybe a higher, around 500,000 uh, 500, individuals in Indiana, whereby they receive their health benefits through uh, some form of almost an HSA cards and what we call it a power cards. And they can go and shop and spend that money. And there are some incentives that actually the members can use to carry over portion of the unused, uh, those, uh, those, uh, those funds, if you will. So if you step back, um, for us, really, the, the early days of ACA, when it was implemented, we wanted to do something a little different than many of the health payers or healthcare players in the ACA market to do, which was to do, we wanted to create a marketplace, truly a marketplace where the insurers can come in and they can just, quote unquote, we call it, you know, stack up our shelves with their product and services. As the consumer starts coming in, they can pick and choose those products. And, and most of the, unfortunately, most of the industry went towards that creating their own shopping experiences. So the best analogy that we can I can give it to you is there is the, if you are looking to buy an airplane uh, ticket, if you will, you can go to your favorite airline, most likely the one that gives you the most mileage, perhaps frequent flyers. In my case, well, it was, was Delta. Well, that was the last time I think flown about, what, two years ago. It's been, a, it's been like, it feels like a century ago. Um, you can go to delta.com or you can go to expedia.com. If, you, if your focus is in price and comparison, you will go to the multi-carrier exchanges like ACA. But if your focus is the VIP and using those points, you'll go to delta.com. But Delta is fully aware. In fact, if you were to go ask the Delta you know, CEO the, how many websites that you can buy a, a Delta airline tickets, if you will, um, I think the answer, probably his answer is going to be, I don't know. Uh, it could be hundreds. It could be, if I'm not mistaken, literally thousands of websites. The, the, the process happens in healthcare industry is through this basically a consortium called TAO is a, uh, I'm sorry, OTA, Open Travel Agency. 20 years ago, basically every airline, every major hotels come together. They created this interchange of data between all the parties so that the shopping experience for consumer has, has basically gone from chasing and going through, remember those uh, travel agencies and whatnot, or phone sites or whatever it is, you can now go to one site and you can compare all the product and services. Um, similar kind of, obviously, 
the consumerization taking place in every part of our lives. Uh, Amazon has done that very well on the e-commerce side. You know, we don't have to go to malls anymore. Our living rooms are the malls. We can now pick and shop anything that we want. Same thing happening in banking, same thing happening in other parts of the organization, uh, our, our lives. Um, I think from that perspective, that was our approach to the consumerization in, in healthcare. So um, obviously we had to do a lot more work in that sense because the systems that we have to design have to be open to anyone and everyone who wants to participate. Through the process, we have helped numerous health plans to be able to quickly you know, pull their products on the shelves rather than building their own retail stores, quote unquote. And also on the consumer side, they have the ability to now come to one side and they can just basically shop and compare so many different products and services from so many different healthcare payers. So that's the our definition of uh, consumerization and healthcare. How does it relate to the pandemic? Well, to be frank with you, I think that pandemic just simply accelerated that transformation, which was already slowly happening even before ACA, as you probably recall, private exchanges was the topic or the word of the town where we felt that every employer will be asking or creating their own kind of the multi-carrier exchanges for their employers. Um, and kind of ACA pushed that concept to the side and everything had to be done because it was a mandate. Everybody had to do something with it. Well, COVID is another form of a mandate the way we see it. What COVID did it, it basically accelerated the paradigm shift from brick and mortar healthcare to a new era where the healthcare, you know, specifically the telehealth component is delivered near real time, if not in real time. And here's the, here's, the, here's the twist. It could be delivered by known or unknown partners or healthcare providers. Your doctor no longer is a couple of miles down away from your house or where you live. It could be in any part of the country in current status altogether too. So all of a sudden now we have this paradigm shift that you don't even know who your partners are. You are building real-time partnerships with organizations like Teladax helps you find that aggregator. It's another way of have Uber aggregates and then the cars available you know, nearby you in case you ever need a ride. I think that we are going into the world where the, the services that are being delivered to you in near real time or just in time. And, and just as Delta CEO doesn't know um, how many outlets are selling their tickets. I think we are moving rapidly into the area is that the you know, healthcare payers, uh, in this case, will be partnering with known or unknown partners for delivering services, not just by traditional uh, hospital or healthcare systems, but we are seeing a plethora of companies that are funded by venture capital and private equities, and they all want to have uh, this piece of that $3.4 trillion basket. That's what we call it a healthcare spending. And, and to be frank, as you can see in the current pandemic, um, healthcare IT companies and, and public companies had the highest return in 2020 on an average of 89% gain in their stock performance. So there is definitely a, a big push towards the digitization of these products and services because market has exploded in a so um, an, an unpredictable 
in a surprising way due to the COVID. I love uh, how you describe the Affordable Care Act as as really a, a, a mechanism that the, that was for the good of the consumer. I love that uh, the analogy you're using with uh, Amazon and the rest with uh, the idea of a marketplace being one place where you can shop. And then that idea, the second idea that the pandemic has showed us, right, is that you don't have to shop at the store next door. Um, with telehealth, it's again like Amazon. You can you might be ordering something from China. Uh, for all you know, or it could be Indiana, or it could be right around the corner. Um, so you've got the, the 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 cost comparison, and then you've got the access. And what's interesting is the new transparency rules are now doing the second part of that cost comparison, right? So if the ACA and the exchanges in the marketplace was getting to see how plans and, and getting to shop with plans and what their various cost of, of health plans would be, now... Uh, with these transparency rules uh, and the transparency provisions in the No Surprises Act, uh, we're going to get the other half where you actually get to shop among hospitals. And as you're saying, maybe even shop among teledocs. And some of those teledocs might be in completely different um, states. So so let's go on to the transparency rules. Um, what is your view on that with regard to consumer health care? And maybe let's talk a little bit about um, where we are with the transparency rules and if we're actually going to see them uh, get implemented uh, this year uh, by yeah. the hospitals and next year by the plans. Uh, and again, I asked you about a dozen questions, but I'll let you go. With not them. at all. Not at all. We welcome that opportunity. Again, I think that uh, kind of in a way we are feeding off each other. So that's, this is what happens when you bring like-minded people. We are all kind of believing the same mission. To be frank with you, I don't. I don't think I answer your first question about the Sophians <laughs> culture. You yes. know, uh, starting with myself, we talk about being a contrarian company. You know, um, organically grown um, to the point that we have been rated as one of the fastest growing company by Deloitte nationally, um, by Crane in New York, and so company has achieved some great success because we feel very passionate about making healthcare affordable, accessible, and plentiful. And here's the insider for you, by the way. That accessibility, affordability, and plentifulness is the definition of a commodity per Webster dictionary. So our goal is to actually, of course, we did not want to say we want to make healthcare a commodity, right? That kind of little bit kind of throws you off your guard a little bit. But affordability and accessibility is really the paramount, we believe, um, in, in, in bending the cost curve because the healthcare expense is growing um, in, in a record pace, um, you know, 3.4, soon to be $4 trillion uh, on a $23 trillion budget. So we're talking about 20% of our GDP is being spent on healthcare. And here's the sad part about it. Despite all the money that's been spent, and I'm afraid to say that um, the, the spending will continue to grow, not in direct correlation to the outcome. As you know, the you know the fee for services model um, and and basically shift to value based and outcome based um, uh, models, if you will, been the been the topic for well, at least it was several years. And if, to the best of my knowledge, um, it's very difficult. It's how do you achieve those goals? You know, how do you measure outcome? How do you measure value uh, in the absence of a data? And the interoperability 
is the primary means of collecting that data and then measuring the data and then acting and putting as a feedback in a typical AI machine learning model. Uh, you, you take the input, you look at the output, and you try to predict what's inside the box. And using those analogies, using that you know, sample data, and you try to apply it to the much larger data sets and so on and so forth. I think the, the code paradigm shift, if you will, it will enable companies to start gathering a lot more data. And this is where I think the interoperabilities play a critical role. I Unfortunately, uh, I think the interoperability will continue to take a little bit of a backseat, given the economic condition that we are in and given the, the, the spending, healthcare spending that is needed to uh, basically control this pandemic, get the control of pandemic under control. So I think we're going to continue to see spending increases, not in direct correlation to the outcome. And interoperability, I think slowly and gradually will become a, a primary means to getting that data availability in the hands of a consumer. And great example, by the way, we talk about travel industry. This is one of the things that we do at Sofian. We like to look at everything from a a first principle of thinking, as you probably know that Elon Musk is really, really popular. He talks about every day how he approaches and new problems. So we we like that. We we pretty much uh, softly on culture with quite a few of them, with the exception of myself and a few others. We skew the numbers of softly on because our average engineer, our average employee at softly on is probably in their 26 and 27 years old age group mm-hmm. with 80 percent of our staff. 30 and younger. Uh, and, and that is that is the kind of that's how we look at the problems. That's how the how they look at the problems. So when we were on this journey to build the the next healthcare consumerism platform, um, we we just simply went back to the drawing board to say, okay, let's look at the examples, let's see what other industries have executed on this 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 transformation. And one notable one actually was. No different than what we do today, which we're very accustomed to, um, ATMs. Mm-hmm. You can go to any convenience store, right? Mm-hmm. You can put your card, identify yourself, and you have access to your bank account in any part of the world for the most part. I travel to Europe quite often. I, I, can, I have a real-time access to my bank accounts here in New York. How does it happen? How does this process happen? Because my bank, Bank of America, doesn't know the ATM that is located at a convenience store in somewhere in Hamburg. You know, how does that process happens? So this is the kind of curiosity that put us on a track to create the platform that we created. So um, just to talk a little bit about software on that piece, with the exception of physical buildings, we built our own data center. We acquire our own hardware, our own software, our own compliance, because today we're working with, um, we are one of those unique organizations have received the uh, CMS's enhanced direct enrollment status. What TurboTax and HR block to IRS is, Softion is that entity to CMS. We have direct connection to the IRS and Department of you know, uh, Homeland Security and whatnot too. So within the context of interoperability, we have to comply and meet with specifications like NIST 800, uh, FISMA, MARS-E, and so on and so forth, so that we wanted to build the, the, the foundation that is strong, will allow us to continue to expand and grow, 
some point in time, as we all know, the, as you know, in Europe, there are, there are a series of data protection rules, also known as GDPR. We already know that uh, California Consumer Privacy Act actually took effect in January 2020, and it will be increasing demand. So switching back to the CMS interoperability, we think that there is going to be an opportunity. It's going to be a slower adoption. Uh, we think that given the, the current economic conditions, administration probably will relax some of those mandates. They will continue to push off as they have done. Uh, as a result of the COVID, some of the deadlines were already being delayed and postponed six months to a year. We think that could continue to happen. We think the uh, some of the penalties associated with you know not meeting the interoperability mandates uh, probably will be waived or 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 even you know uh, uh, you know forgiven for some time or if nothing else minimized. Um, but interoperability is going to be a key element to it. The only concern that we have at Sotheon um, is going to be the, not to repeat some of the mistakes that we did uh, during the early days of kind of meaningful use. Remember EMR and EHRs and everything else where the, you know, not that many hospitals and doctors uh, in U.S. did not have an electronic means of gathering the medical records. Um, and then there was a, a moment to happen and a record pace now that I think probably high 90s uh, about the medical records. But the problem through that process, we ended up, no disrespect to, we ended up creating these large silos called Epic and Cerner. Now the information is locked up. I think the interoperability hopefully will allow and un unshackle that data so that organizations like Sofian can create the conduit, can create the aggregators where the consumer can come in, they can, collect all their data about their health and wellness, and then using some smart engines like Amazon's shopping decision support, Softian has a similar type of decision support, propensity models about the behaviors and whatnot. So using machine learning, using gamification of healthcare, we think that we are able to provide access to affordable healthcare, could be provided, like you said it, a doctor down the road, or it could be a doctor in other part of the country in the same fashion as will be done, if not better, using the technology. I, 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 I appreciate now what you said at the uh, beginning of the show, that you said Sotheon was an overnight success to over 20 years. Is that, is that how you put it? And, and we, it we, <laughs> that is one of our, that is one of our, exactly, inside, inside uh, humors, let's put it this way. That's exactly right. But now it seems like you're you're perfectly placed with the interoperability rules coming through and with uh, uh, certainly the exchanges having some headwinds, headwinds, no, uh, uh, having some air beneath their wings, perhaps at this point. Yeah. Under the new administration, it sounds like you're well placed. You know, uh, uh, one of the something that stuck out at me and and, and then um, uh, you, you said that um, affordability, accessibility and plentiful uh, where I think your three uh, terms that are part of your mission, uh, affordable and accessible, those sound like uh, terms we hear all the day in, in uh, healthcare policies. Plentiful, uh, that's a new term, and it sounds very, um, it sounds almost uh, organic and almost sacred. What, what do you mean by plain, plentiful? Well, I think the plentiful is, uh, like we said, it, we always heard that healthcare was local. Healthcare was local at the state level, it was local at the county level. 
In fact, if you look at it, how even health insurance plans are being actually designed and priced is at the county level. Mm. Because it's targeted for the population in that given area. The networks, the contracts are, are designed to be extremely localized fashion. We believe with the advent of technology, with the advent of telehealth, with the advent of internet and other means of capabilities, interoperability tools. Now we have the ability to have your doctors, your 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 MRI technicians, or your your uh, you know your specialists to be in other part of the country, and that's what happened already has been happening through again telehealth. It's happening through pharmacy companies that are being popping up and let it be from, again, I don't want to just plug the names up there too. The consumerization in is now seeping through every corner of healthcare. Mm-hmm. So basically our definition of plentiful is that there are more places now the consumer can go to go get those services, shop around those services. So the key thing is going to be, again, like you said, it having access to the price information. That's the part that it's still a little bit of a pushback. You know, let it be how American Medical Association is actually, you know, designing the product around ICD codes and whatnot too. I think that's going to be some time still consumer to truly understand and compare the prices between the product and services as they are comparing prices, let's say on, on pharmacy between the brand and generic drugs. I think as we go towards the, the next generation through ACA, we believe one of the greatest things that ACA has done was able to compare product A to product B without the, all, the, all the confusing jargons, the HMOs and PPOs and max out of pocket and so on and so forth. ACA, healthcare.gov, Softion, our, our subsidiary, uh, direct to business consumer, well, these organizations have now simple easy to use, a 63-year-old person may not be totally up-to-date with technology, to 22-year-old person can go and can compare the prices. So the we believe the plentifulness will come from truly the increasing the, the sources of these product and services that are being delivered to the consumer, and consumers are being empowered by, 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 by these new players, and they are going to come in as I just said it earlier, um, you know, the, I think healthcare is one of the fastest growing, you know, the investment category for venture capitals, private equities, or public companies that are already being listed. So that's where that's what we mean by plentifulness. Very, very good. Affordable, accessible, and plentiful. Well, this has been a great discussion, Eugene. Any closing words? Any, um, uh, any. Uh, aspirational thoughts about where healthcare will be in another five years, 10 years? Uh, you know, we, we think that again, uh, we, we are perpetually optimist at Softion, to be frank with you, because there is so much, as you know, day-to-day living, um, there's so much negativity and cynicism altogether too. We believe, we believe um, giving the information, giving the opportunity, um, healthcare is, is, is is neither a right nor a privilege. We believe it's both. We all have access to or a right to a healthcare. Doesn't mean free healthcare because there's nothing in free in life. Somebody ended up paying for it. I think the key point is gonna be about affordability. 
And then the privileged portion really is that individual having the opportunity to make those sound decisions based on based on the information that's been provided. We did this everything. We did this, you know, buying a car, buying a house. We are not offended by, you know, someone is basically giving us a low FICO scores. If that's the case, guess what do we do? We find a way to improve our FICO scores so we can get a lower interest rate. So I think that's the kind of I cannot say that I am in agreement with some of my colleagues. They continue to march upon saying, well, this is too complicated. So we are not going to trust the individuals to make a decision about what kind of healthcare do they need, what kind of service do they need, you know, what kind of, we talk about briefly touch upon social determinants of health, right? Your zip code now is important as your blood pressure. I think the individuals has an opportunity and right to be involved and engaged with the healthcare. Until that engagement happens, until that people are deciding behind closed doors about the, you know, what the cost of a particular procedure should be, and then try to find a way to capitate these expenses and continue to make decisions on behalf of the consumer. I think in our view, that is that's that's one of the things that holding back to true, true transformation. And here's the really kicker part. The interoperability, internet, the concepts that we talk about, GDPRs and accessibility to healthcare, up until very recently, the healthcare system in US has been touted as the, one of the unique healthcare systems in the world. And therefore, it's not being transferable. Well, with this process, with this kind of disruption that we are now looking to bring upon the industry, making it affordable, accessible, and plentiful. So we think that people in India, China, Africa, Europe, those people will be needing an affordable, accessible, and plentiful healthcare. Of course they do. So our plea to the industry, companies like ourselves and, and others, I think we have to look upon interoperability, you know, as a, as a partnership. It's interoperability is an oxymoron if you are only going to go after monopolies and duopolies in, in an industry, which has been the case. And to be frank with you, M&As through the M&As, right, where, where the, the number of suppliers are shrinking mm -hmm. because there's less and less companies now that are able to. So I think that there is an under, um, I'm going to say how she said it, there is a something brewing very big in our view that will allow this, this, this platform, this technology, this work that we put in place in the US actually could be easily transferable, not to 154 million transferable addressable market size. We talk about total addressable market size of US, what, 300, what, 30, 40 million? To 6 billion, maybe even 7 billion. So this is the exciting part about, when I talk to my colleagues in private equities and VCs, they don't view the, the transformation, they don't need a disruption of US only. I think there's an opportunity to be think a lot bigger than just US and do a lot better just than US population is concerned. So that will be the hopeful thinking and optimistic thinking on our part. Then again, that we, we're not always right, but we'll see what happens. No, that's, that is a great place to end, Eugene. And, and, and that's uh, 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 you got me on board. Uh, you know, we, we export we export our music, we export our science, we export uh, so many things that uh, 
America is a leader in. And um, if we've got this great healthcare system, let's uh, let's make it better and let's export it. I, I think that's a great, or if not export it, uh, serve as an example. Uh, I think it's a great end. Um, Eugene, a pleasure having you on the show today. Likewise. Okay. To be we, have been, we have been talking to Eugene Sion, founder and CEO of Sotheon. One of Weedy's primary functions is to keep health plans, hospitals, and other providers educated on health IT. And we very much appreciate Eugene Sion helping Weedy do that today. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system for the United States and, and maybe for the world. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.